0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it you can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com.
1: As we said, we are wrapping up uh, John today. If we, if you, if you remember, uh, and all this is on the podcast. If if you're, if you've missed something, if you're curious, if you have nothing else better to do, um, but the whole premise of walking through this, uh, this uh, uh, account of Jesus' life was to see the life of Jesus as told by the disciple who knew his love. And in John chapter 13, at the Last Supper, we're introduced to this disciple, it's John, who's the one who wrote this book, who describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Now, did Jesus love, you know, Peter, Andrew, you know, James, the rest? Of course he did. But for whatever reason, John identifies himself, not John, the one, the disciple of Jesus, who was sold out and committed and hardcore and loved Jesus with all his heart, but he identified himself simply as John, the one whom Jesus loved. And I think there's value in that. I think that there is uh, a, a substance in that that we don't we don't really understand. At least I don't really understand fully to really see as John did. His identity is not as a disciple of Jesus. He didn't see his identity as a follower even of Jesus he saw his identity wrapped up in someone whom Jesus loved and I think there's again there's value and depth in that that we struggle I struggle to really understand and, and to, to live in because of our productivity driven you know what have you done for me lately you know sort of system we tend to identify ourselves as, you know, Walt, you know, a lover of Jesus um, or, you know, however we wanna say that. And that's cool, let's, let, let's love Jesus. But there's a depth here that John understood that, that, that loving Jesus is great, it's fantastic, it's awesome. But that's simply the reciprocation of really resting and receiving Jesus's love for him. And so hopefully as we've walked through this letter, 40 plus weeks now, uh, I say letter, this book, whatever you want to call it, the gospel according to John, I really hope that we've picked up on the central idea of the life of Jesus, but as told by someone who really understood his love for them. And so today we finish it up. We're looking at the last few verses of chapter 21, but before we get to 21, I actually want to read one verse out of chapter 18, and I alluded to this last week, uh, and, and we're going to, you know, look at it in depth this week. But Jesus has been raised from the dead, He's appeared to Mary, He appeared to all the disciples, minus whom? Thomas. Thomas. And then a week later, He appeared to all the disciples, including Thomas, and then after that, he's now appeared to all, well, seven of the disciples again, this time up in Galilee, up north, and they went out fishing. And we looked at this last week, and I submitted to you that it was a picture a teaching that Jesus was teaching under the old system you can work and work and work and labor in your own efforts and you'll produce nothing as far as righteousness is concerned because they fished all night long and these fishermen they knew how to fish they fished all night long and they produced what nothing and Jesus comes and tells them something silly can I even say something foolish just put your net on the what other side like what's that going to do what's something as silly as that going to do well, they believed something silly and they put the net on the other side. And the Bible says that there was so much, so many fish, 153 large ones, that they couldn't pull it in. There were so many. And the teaching, again, that I tried to communicate last week was that's the way of the new covenant. The old covenant is you work in all your effort and you produce nothing. All night long, you produce nothing. Under the new covenant, this new way, this new uh, reality You simply believe something silly, that God loves you, that He died for you, that He rose from the dead. That's crazy. That's silly. That's foolish. People don't come back to to life when they die. Well, you believe something silly, crazy, foolish, and you watch God produce righteousness in you, something you could work for all your life and produce nothing. He, in one net casting, produced so much righteousness in you that you can't handle it. That's the way of the new. And so they came in and Peter, uh, John, the, the one who knew it was John that identified, that's Jesus. Because they didn't know it was Jesus at first because it was so far off. It was, you know, twi- uh, 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 morning time, dusk, dawn, dawn. It was morning time. I have to think of a dusk to dawn lamp, whatever I have to, I get those confused. Uh, dawn. And so they couldn't really see who it was It said to put the net on the other side. And so it was John. Not Peter, not the rest of them. It was John that's Jesus. Why? Because he knew his love for them. And Peter, uh, realizing it was Jesus, jumps out of the boat uh, like, you know, um, not Happy Gilmore. What's the other movie? Um, Forrest, Gump. Forrest Gump. He jumps out of the boat and, you know, r- you know swims to shore because he couldn't wait. And he comes up to Jesus. And of all the things that Jesus could have done, he could have reamed them out for not believing, could have reamed Peter out for denying him three times. But you know what Jesus did? Upon his resurrection, upon appearance, upon telling them to just simply put the net on the other side, he served them. He served them. He served them, he served them breakfast. They were tired, they were hungry. He made them fish. They, he didn't even need their fish, he had his own fish. And he served them bread. And he also said, bring some of your fish over here. And where did that fish come from? It came from him anyways, because he was the one who provided that fish. And so they fellowshiped together. No judgment, because judgment was already what? Accomplished. It was finished. There is no judgment for their lack of belief, or their lack of faithfulness, whatever you want to call it, for their sin, because it was all accomplished. And all Jesus wanted now to do in this beginning of this new covenant. This is a beautiful transitional period between the resurrection and the actual um, Holy Spirit coming down in Acts 2, this beautiful transitional period. He's now teaching them, this is the way of the new covenant. Under the old, you could never fellowship with the Lord. You could never commune with him. You could never dine with God. But now in the new, I give you something you could never have, fish galore, right? Right? but the fish being a picture of his presence, his righteousness within you. So that's where we are. That's the setting in chapter 21. But I want to look at one verse here in chapter 18 really quickly, verse 18 of chapter 18, because this is when Jesus was on trial. He's been arrested. He's on trial. And this is where Peter denies Jesus three times. I just want to read this one verse and then we'll go back to chapter 21. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and it was the middle of the night and they were having these illegal trials. We talked about all the illegal trials back a month or more ago for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them with who, with the slaves and the officers standing and warming himself. This is in the, during the trials, during the, the, uh, the beatings of Jesus. And this is when three different times people asked Peter, don't you know, Jesus, aren't you a part of his group? Aren't you from Galilee? I could tell by your accent. And ultimately a slave girl says, I know you, you are with Jesus. And he curses her out saying, I never, I don't know the man. And in that moment, while he's huddled around a charcoal fire, I've got it in red for a reason, a charcoal fire, the cock crows, and he and Jesus, according to John, make eye contact, and it's like, oh yeah. He said I was going to deny him three times, and I said over my dead body, and here it is, I just denied him three times in the rooster crow around this charcoal fire. Now, I don't know what it's called. I'm not a you know, a professional smelling person. But what is it? There's something where you have association by smell, right? Does Anybody know what that's called? Any professional smellers out there? But you know what I'm talking about? Where you can smell something and you can immediately be back to like third grade when, you know, something happened, right? Nostalgia, nostalgia, something by smell and it triggers. I mean, there's a legit trigger. well, I won't get into details of stuff that will trigger like a wisdom teeth situation, right? I mean, it, it, I can get triggered, you know, by certain smells, right? And you can fill in the blanks, you know, I'm sure. But it, it happens. Uh, you could be, you know, um, you know, someone could cook something, and you walk into their house, and it triggers, you know, some some kind of loaf of bread that your grandma used to make back in the day. What, whatever. I mean, it, it's amazing how we all understand how this works, right? Uh, whenever I smell, this is going to sound funny, whenever I smell like a mixture of like trash burning and wood burning and food cooking like this weird mixture, I'm in Guatemala in my head because there is a unique odor in any Guatemalan village that we've been in where they're burning their trash, burning their wood for for or heat, but also cooking their food all at the same time. And I'm immediately in that moment, I'm in Guatemala, that smell, I know that smell. And uh, we all have examples, I'm sure. When Peter and John and the other disciples were out fishing, Jesus on the shore, he starts with the scripture says, they got out of the land and they saw... A charcoal fire, this is in John 21, already laid and fish placed on it and bread. So, this is back now, we're in 21, this is after the resurrection. They're out fishing and Jesus has put it on the other side and they get to the shore finally and they realize that Jesus has already lit a charcoal fire. Now, I, I can't tell you what Peter's thinking other than what Peter says here in a second. But what was the very last thing, what was the very last recorded charcoal fire that Peter was hanging out at? It was a charcoal fire where he's warming himself and doing what three times? Denying Denying the Lord three times around a charcoal fire. I think it possible. I mean, that was a pretty, I mean, if you deny the Lord three times and then the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said, and you made eye contact with the Lord, I'm pretty sure that that moment would be seared in your at least short-term memory, if not long-term. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that any time future, we could expect that Peter smelt a charcoal fire. But, you know, that takes me back to that night that I denied the Lord three times. Now, maybe there were charcoal fires between this one and that one. I don't know. I mean, they doesn't record it. But I can imagine just knowing what I know about smell, whatever it's called, association. N- nostalgia. There's probably some sort of Google word we can like search up and read about it. Uh, I'm certain. Oh, <laughs> Jim found it. Uh, Redolent. R- Redolent. Redolent. There you go. Um, I'm certain that there were times between the denial of Jesus and this moment w- where there was a charcoal fire. And it's a very, fam- you know, common, you know, occurrence. Charcoal fire to cook stuff, to warm yourself, whatever. And I can imagine there being an association every single time. God, that smell. I remember that smell. I remember that smell when I had an opportunity to stand up and say, I love you, Jesus. I do know Jesus. And he smells it again the next night. Oh, I remember that time when I had the opportunity to stand up to a slave girl and not be scared and actually defend the Lord. I, rem- I remember. I could have done something better. I could have done something different. And now here, after fishing all night and getting nothing on his own efforts, the Lord provides more than he could ever hope or dream. And now he comes to shore and dead gummit, there's that smell again, a charcoal fire. Where it's likely, again, the scripture doesn't say this, but I can just inject myself and my smell associations into the picture where it's likely The last time he was at a charcoal fire with the Lord, he was denying the Lord. But the Lord now has something different in mind. In verse 10, it says that Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have now caught, and let's have ourselves a Cracker Barrel breakfast. So Simon Peter went up and he drew the net full of large fish, 153 of them, And although there were so many, the net was not torn. We talked about that last week. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Jesus is serving them. If we don't realize that the new covenant is about Jesus serving us himself, serving us his righteousness, serving us his life, then we're never gonna understand the glory of the new covenant. We're gonna live in a mixture between the old and the new. And it's not gonna be fun. There's no life in a mixture. None of the disciples ventured to even question, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and the fish likewise. Verse, now, this was the third time that Jesus manifested himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. That's where we wrapped up last week. Now picking up in verse 15. So when they had finished bre- <clears throat> breakfast, they're still huddled around the what? Charcoal fire, after they finished breakfast, after Jesus had served them all, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we, we're going to read what Peter responded with, but I mean, come on. It wasn't but a couple weeks at most when he denied Jesus around the charcoal fire. And his response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, I don't know of the theological implications in this, but we know that there are several different words for love in the Greek language. And Jesus asked, do you agape me? Agape is, is um, uh, unconditional love, the love of God unconditional love. He says, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter responds, according to the Greek language, yes, Lord, you know I love you, but he doesn't use agape, he uses phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. What? Love. And so phileo is a Greek word that means love, but it's like brotherly love, like like um, human love sort of a deal, not unconditional love. And again, I don't know if there's any major theological implication in that, but he's definitely saying, I don't agape you because, I mean, I'm not God, but I do phileo you. I do love you like a brother. I love you as I, best I can. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs or feed my lambs. I think talking about the, the work that Peter's going to do in the coming weeks and months as the church is getting established in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4. And so, I don't know how much time passes, but now Jesus says to him a second time, again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, agape, do you agape, do you unconditionally love me? Again, put yourself in Peter's shoes, smell association Last time he was in a campfire, a charcoal fire, and Jesus was there. He was denying Jesus, and now Jesus is asking, Do you love me? And he says to him, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Phileo, again, it's not the agape love, it's phileo love. It's brotherly love. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And that word, shepherd, it just the same as the other word, feed. It's like, feed my leap. (laughs) Feed my leap. Feed my sheep. Um, and if there's a leap that's hungry, feed it too. But feed my sheep and care for them. You're, you're going to be in a position where you can, can uh, lead these people to something, can feed them something, to which I ask, as we should all, feed them what? What is Jesus trying to encourage Peter to feed them? Feed them what? We'll come back to that. Feed them what? All right. Again, I don't know how much time has passed It's after breakfast. I don't know if it's like rapid succession, three questions in a row, but for a third time, chapter, uh, uh, verse 17, Jesus asks Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now this is phileo love. This isn't agape love. He says, do you love me? Do you brotherly love me? And this is, I think, where it really sets in for Peter. This is where you got the, I'm suggesting, the scripture doesn't say this, that whole like smell association thing. Last time I was around a charcoal fire with Jesus, I was denying him three times. And now the third time around a charcoal fire after I really like, uh, you know, lost a great opportunity to defend the Lord, here I am. It says uh, third time, it says, Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. And why is the third time so uh, humbling? And I'm just suggesting to you, I might be wrong, but I think it's because of the three denials that Peter just gave a couple weeks before around a charcoal fire. Even when Jesus said it would happen, you know, I've got, I I don't know. I'm not saying I would do anything different, but uh, like if somebody's like, you know, you're gonna, you know, do this. Like, I'm gonna do everything I can to, not just to like show them that they were wrong, you know, just that sort of human pride, whatever. But Jesus said he was gonna deny deny him. Three times he denied him. And now the third time he says, do you love me? And Peter now said, "Uh, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo, I love you. I brotherly love you. And Jesus said to him, tend or feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so I have to admit, I would be in error to say this is exactly why this is here in the scriptures for us to know. But I believe it is, again, Jesus continuously taking opportunity to teach us the difference between the old and the new. Follow what I'm saying here. It, starting in verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I think Jesus is kind of explaining what's going on here. I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself or you used to clothe yourself. You used to like take care of yourself. You used to do things for yourself and you used to walk wherever you wish when you were younger. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will clothe you. Someone else will cover you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. What's this all about? Well, fortunately, he explains. Now this, he said, John gives us an understanding of why he says this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God, that Peter would glorify God. What kind of death? Someone else is going to take you. Someone else is going to cover you. Someone else is going to lead you to somewhere and bind you to where you don't want to go. And church history, not the scripture, but church history tells us that Peter was actually crucified Uh, many years later, um, church history says upside down because he didn't want to be crucified as the Lord was. That's not in the scripture. That's in history, uh, historical books. But, um, But it's to tell what kind of death that he would die to glorify God. And when he, Jesus, had spoken this, he said to Peter, follow me. Now, he asks him, let's just make sure we're on the same page. He asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And every single time, Peter's like, I love you. You know, I love you. I, 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 I love, I love, I love. And I just get this sense, and again, I could be wrong, but I get this sense that Peter is still struggling with how this life in the new covenant is going to work because Peter is still focused on I loving you. But Jesus is asking, do you love me? But Peter's, I believe, (coughs) accessing every bit of ability he has left remaining to say, I commit, I would never do what I just did 10 days ago again to you. I love you. I'm not going where, yes, Lord, I love you. I'm really in this time. And Jesus fills him in on the possibility of, uh, uh, possibly on on how he's going to die. And Jesus simply says, follow me, follow me. Now, why would he be telling him this? And I think it's possibly because the disciples are still thinking that Jesus is planning on setting up an earthly kingdom. That's been their thought ever since, and we know it's their thought in a few days when Jesus ascends to heaven, because they ask Him, is it now that you're going to set up this earthly kingdom, and we're going to be your earthly viceroys, John and James sitting at your right and your left? And I just think that Jesus is letting them know that the reality is on this world, in this place, it's going to be hard on them. There's not going to be all of a sudden a new kingdom on earth where they're going to be served and they're going to be, you know, the, the right and the left making decisions and everything's going to be great for them. It's going to be terrible here on earth. He's going to be taken somewhere where he doesn't want to go and his life is going to end. He's letting them in on the reality that this world will be hard on them, but that their new home is in a different world, a new place. And I don't think Peter understood at all what Jesus was saying here at this point. But I know later he did. When he wrote 2 Peter, real quickly, we'll go back to John. But in 2 Peter, Peter is old. He's he's about to die. Listen to how Peter testifies of the Lord. He says, He's talking to the the people he's writing. He says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, talking about their inheritance, talking about uh, that they become partakers of the divine nature, talking about the, the new heart, the new covenant, even though you already know them, I'm going to tell you all the more, and you've been established in the truth, which is present within you. I consider it right. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, Peter saying this is on on his deathbed. In essence, I am, I, every opportunity I have, I'm going to remind you of what you have. I'm going to remind you of who you are. I'm going to remind you of whose you are. Because it's not defined in this world. Look how he says this, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. He's talking about his death. He sees his body as just simply an earthly dwelling. This word dwelling is the word that we call tabernacle. It's a tent. My outer carcass is going to fall off soon. I'm getting old. I'm going to be stretched out as also the Lord Jesus made it clear to me. Referencing back to that passage in John, like he told me this was going to happen. So my outer body is going to fall off. I'm going to die, but it's going to reveal the true essence of who I now am in Christ. And I will also be diligent that at any time, even after my departure, what's departure? His talking about death, that you will be able to call these things to mind. So I don't think at first Peter understood at all what this new covenant was about and what this new life in Christ was all about. He's just trying to be like, yes, I love you. I'll try my best. I'm going to love you even more. But by the end, man, it's clear. He gets it. He sees it, that we become partakers of the divine nature, that we have been given everything. This is second Peter, the first part of second Peter one, we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness right here. And I'm going to do everything I can to remind you, even after my body falls, I die as the Lord said, I'm going to die. I'm making sure that after I die, you'll be reminded of what you truly have and who you truly are. So I think eventually he gets it. But right now on the shore in Galilee where he's huddled around this charcoal fire, I don't think he gets it. Walt, why, why do you think he doesn't really get it? Why do you think he doesn't really understand? Well, first of all, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in him yet. So he's still unredeemed trying to like understand spiritual things. And he's not spiritual yet. But look at this. So, so now we're back to John 21. So Jesus just said, you're going to stretch out. You're going to be taken. You're going to be killed. Yeah. <coughs> Peter, turning around, he sees the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Who, who is this? John. So you kind of get this idea that they're just kind of walking and talking. Jesus is like, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes. Yes. yes, yes. And there's somebody following along behind. Like, And Peter just turns around. And he sees the disciple whom Jesus loves following them. The one who had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who's the one betraying you? That, that guy, it's John. So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Like, what, what's his story? What's going to happen to him? All right, so you just said that I'm going to be, you know, like, somebody's going to cover me up and take me somewhere where I don't want to go. What about that guy? You know, tell me what's going to happen to him. And this is so cool. So cool. Is he going to get stretched out? Is he going to be, you know, killed to bring glory to you? And look what Jesus says. If I want him to remain until I come, what's that to you? What's that to you? You, here it is again, and we're going to make a big deal of this at the end. You just follow me. So what, what, what can we take away from this? We must not... Let what happens to others affect what, is ha- what we allow to happen to us. Meaning, if another brother or sister in Christ, good or bad, makes a decision, something happens to them, we must not allow that to affect how we have chosen and we have decided to follow the Lord. To receive his love for us so if this thing is something that's good this is something that's hot in today's you know culture right now and I'm all for it just to let it you know let you know how I feel about it but we still must not let something that has amazingly happened that's amazingly good affect us I, I love what's happened with Kanye West I have downloaded his album and it is fan slam tastic if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it you might pull the lyrics out like I had to because I can't really understand everything he says, but um, but it is f- slam fantastic. It is Jesus. One one person said there's more Jesus in one Kanye West song than the last two albums that the hottest Christian artist put together. Ra- Christian rapper artist. It's a it's amazing, and I'm all for it. But is what's happening with Kanye West, which is awesome. I think I, and I'm all for it. Is is that affecting me in my love for the Lord and the Lord's love for me? And I say, let us be careful because let's just say something horrible happens with Kanye. Well, let's just say two weeks from now, he's like, this is all a big joke. Now, I don't think that's the case. I'm just saying, let's just, let's just pretend. Well, see, a lot of people who have now built their newfound faith on him is going to be shattered. But see, he is not the message that I have fallen in love with. It's what he is singing, or speaking, or rapping, however you say it. The lyrics are fan-slam-tastic. So if he falls, if he turns away, I hate that for him, but that's not gonna affect me, because my hope is not in him. Does that make sense? Let uh, another, so that's something that's good that's happened, that I think's happened. We have to be careful that our hope is not in that person, our hope is in Jesus himself. Similarly, and I don't know the details of this, and, and I just saw it come across the, the news feed, something has happened with the, the Christian comedian guy, uh, John Christ. I don't know what's happened with him, but something's happened with him, and something not good. And so if, again, with him, if we look at him and it's some sort of moral failure that's happened to him, if we're like, oh man, now, you know. My faith is shot because, you know, he's lost his way or whatever. Like, no, like what, what does that have to do with you? What other people, what happens in the lives of other people? So whether it's something good like Kanye or something not so good, like John Chris, who, I hear Jesus saying, look, your eyes are in the wrong place if you're focused on what happens with them. You follow me. The content of your faith is not in what happens with them, good or bad. It's me. And I, I. this also comes out in questions that I get and that I ask. Like, well, what about the people in the middle of Africa that have never heard the name of Jesus? What about them? And I hear Jesus saying the same thing. Don't worry about that. I'm good, and I'm God. I can handle that. You don't allow something that could or could not happen to this myth, uh, mythological, what's the word, uh, uh, hypothetical group of people in Africa, you follow me. And so, so many people will stumble in their faith because of something of someone else. And I just hear the Lord saying, don't get distracted, because if that's how we're going to establish faith, by how other people either respond to the gospel or say faithful in the gospel or whatever, hear the gospel, then you're going to be all over the map. You're going to be miserable. What is that to you? You follow me. I love it. And so, Um, I don't know if that's what John Peter wanted to hear, but follow me. We'll come back to that phrase here in a second. I just want to read these last few verses. Therefore this saying, here's some first century church gossip, right? This saying went out amongst the brethren that that disciple would not die because he said, if he remains until I come back. So the, 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 the hearsay went around that this disciple's not going to die. Yet Jesus did not say that. He didn't say that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain. What is that to you? So John, the writer is squashing some, some uh, first century uh, hearsay drama that's happening apparently in the church. And then he identifies himself. The writer of this book identifies himself as this disciple. This is the disciple. I am the disciple who is testifying to these things, and I wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So John's identifying himself. He's saying that the one who knew the Lord's love, the love of Jesus towards him, is the one writing this account of Jesus's life. And here's the very last verse in John. He says, "There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that not even the world itself would contain the books that would be written. So if every detail of Jesus's life, of some 30 years, even just some three and a half years of ministry, the world is not big enough to contain the letters. So here's what I want to see and wrap up here in this last little bit. We have two disciples in this passage here. We have Peter who, who defended and even declared his love for Jesus. Jesus, you know I love you. Jesus, I love you. Of course I love you. I'm even grieved because you're asking me three times. Peter defending and declaring his love for Jesus. And then the other disciple we have is John in this, the one that's trailing behind, following behind. And John I see as one who defended something and he declared something. But what did John, in comparison with, G- with, with Peter, who defended and declared his love for Jesus, what did P- John defend and declare? Jesus is what? Love for him. You see this two, two disciples one defending and declaring his love for Jesus yes I love you yes I love you but John defending and declaring Jesus's love for him now should we criticize Peter for defending and declaring his love for Jesus of course not but the point is this that no love for Jesus is going to be self-generated it's going to be self-motivated and it's not going to be self-sustained no love for him Will come from self. All love for Jesus is merely a reciprocation of his love for us. And so I want us to see these two thoughts, these, these two ways to go about our Christian life, defending and declaring, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord versus a defending and declaring, the Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. See, John understood this. Peter eventually, I submit, understands it by the time he writes first and second Peter. But Peter was definitely slower. And I think this is why, let me see if I can go back to the verse. I want to be up on the screen. This is why Jesus so passionately yet so privately says to Peter, just follow me. Just follow me. What is Jesus meaning when he says, Peter, just follow me? Jesus is inviting Peter to follow his love, to follow him, to follow his grace, to follow his truth, to follow his love. When you follow somebody, you receive, okay, whatever they're putting off. Ever followed a garbage truck on a 90 degree summer day? What are you receiving? You're receiving whatever it is that they're putting off, that garbage truck. So when you follow somebody, you're receiving what they're emitting, what they're putting off. You ever been behind a man or a woman through a door or a hallway, a narrow hallway, who's just loaded up that morning with cologne and you know perfume and whatnot? There was a church we were part of. I think it was when I was a kid. It was, pre- but there was a no perfume section yeah. because this woman had a uh, no. He's at Thomas Terrace. This woman had a. Um, allergy to, to, to perfumes or something. And so there was like a no perfume section, uh, in the congregation because she couldn't handle it, you know? And so we've all followed somebody and we've received whatever it is that they've put off good or bad. We receive whatever the person you're following puts off. We understand this concept. That's why we tell our kids, be careful who you hang out with. So we tell our, our, our ourselves even let's be careful who we really you know deeply you know connect with because it it can be easy for us to follow to to receive whatever it is that they're putting off. Uh, one person said that you'll be who you'll be ten years from now based on two things: the books that you read and the people that you hang out with. Because by following these things, the books, the literature, the people, it, we receive what is being put off. And so what is Jesus lovingly saying to Peter? Follow me. And what is Jesus putting off? Well, Jesus, just like, well, and since that would be a weird statement. I was going to say just like that garbage truck. Um, but similarly, like the garbage truck, Pete, Jesus is full of something. And what has this writer of John already told us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus is full of? Well, it's on the screen, so you don't have to guess. Oops. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, reality. So when Jesus says, follow me, here's what's so easy for us to tend to do as Christians. Okay, follow me means I better not do this. I better do that. I better not say these four words. I better say those six words. I better, I better, I better follow Jesus. Mimic his behaviors and just try our best to just follow what he did. Well, he put spit in somebody's eye, so I better go do that too. You know, like if we're going to follow him. But if, if, what, if what I'm saying makes sense, when, we f- when he says, follow me, receive what I'm putting off, and he is full of grace and truth, if we're following him, if we're behind him, receiving what he's putting off, what are we going to be receiving? Grace and truth. The reality that this world, we've died to this world, and we have now been transformed trans- planted, transferred as Paul calls it into the kingdom of the very beloved son. And John is saying here in this closing that there's, that there's not enough room in the whole world to contain the books that could be written about this love, about this grace, about this reality, this truth of Jesus. And that's good. And this is our journey marker. Our last one for, for the book of John, and I think it's, it, it brings it all to a head. Because John just said there's not enough books in the world. There's not enough room in the world to contain the books. And that's good because Jesus isn't a book to study. And this is what I wish I knew when I was racking up school debt in seminary. <laughs> Jesus isn't a book to study. He's a person to know. Pause here. Peter, oh, uh, Paul, over and over, especially to the Ephesians, he is praying for them, Ephesians chapter 3. He is praying that they may know the riches of God's love for them. He's a person to know, not just a book to study. So it's okay that all the world can't contain the books, because he's not a book to study. He's a person to know. He's a person to love. Love the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. We, we want to love to love him, but it's not again about Peter and oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. What we've learned through this letter, this book, of John writing it, the one who knew his love, God's love for him. Here's what I'm saying to you: Jesus is not a book to study, but he's a person to know, a person to love. But most importantly, bar none, like the one percent is to love him, ninety nine percent. He is a person by whom we need to realize we are loved by because that is what changes everything. Jesus isn't a book to study. He's a person to know. He's a person to love. But most importantly of it all, he is a person to be loved by. And John got that. Peter was slow on it. I think he caught up with it eventually. And I think some of us get it, if you will. And I think some of us are slowly catching up that it's about receiving his love for him. I went through John and I just picked out a couple. There's tons more, but I know I knew we wouldn't have much time, but there's a couple of verses where this is just a quick survey through the book of John of him declaring his love for you, for me. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. John 13, 1. Now, this, this is the night before his arrest. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour has come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John 13, 23. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Thirteen thirty four, A new commandment I give to you that you love as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Fifteen nine, Just as the Father... Follow this. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in this love. As he loves me, I now love you. Let that sink in. He's not saying, as I love the Father, now you love me. As the Father loves me, I love you. 1723, this is what's called the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus praying in the garden for us. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in this unity together with us so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them. You loved them. God the Father loves them, them being us, even as you have loved Me, So however much the Father loves the Son, the Father loves you. 1726, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me, this is Jesus talking to the Father, the love which you, the Father, have loved me may be in them and I in them. So not only does he are we the objects for God's love the world, we're not only the objects of his love for us, but the very fullness of that love towards us is now in us, as Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all now reside in us, and I in them. Jesus is not just a book to be studied. He's not a book at all to be studied. He's a person to know. He's a person to love. But most importantly, he's a person to be loved by. And as we understand and receive this love from him to us, it changes us. One of the chief. So if you were to say, well, what's what's the Christian life? Boil the Christian life down to what is Christianity? What is the whole goal in this thing? I think it's simply this. I, I, I don't think there's anything more than this right here to grow, to discover, to understand, to perceive, whatever verb you want to pick, how much the God of the universe actually is in love with you. You say that's, that's it? There's nothing more? I think that's it. I, I, I think there's so much in that. We can never exhaust that. If we can exhaust the love of the Father towards us, then we'll move on to something else. And it's inexhaustible. It's agape. What's one of the chief side effects of discovering this love he has for us to me one of the chief side effects like a french benefit something that we're not really going after but it just happens nonetheless is the fact that we end up as we discover his love for us we end up sinning less and less and less and less not because we're trying to sin less and less and less it's because we're discovering His affections, His love, His joy, His pleasure in us, towards us. I think the root of all sin is a desire to be loved, a desire to be accepted, a desire to be um, uh, 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 approved of. So whether you think of it you know, lying about something, you're trying to not be you know, kicked out of some relationship, so I better lie. Cause I need to be accepted in this relationship, whether it be, you know, a sexual sin. Well, I, I need this for fulfillment. I need this for satisfaction. I need this for deep, you know, desire, whatever the sin is, you name it, cheating, stealing, lying, adultery, you name it. The root of it, I believe is a deep desire to be accepted, to be loved, to, to be, to be received, and I think that's a desire that the Lord Himself has made each one of us to have. And here's the beauty of it all. As we discover more and more how He loves us, how He's completed us, how He's made us acceptable now before Him. We are acceptable. He has made us acceptable, Ephesians 1. As we discover that more and more, we know we turn less and less to the things of this world, i.e. sin, to satisfy those deep longings. Because guess what? They are fulfilled, and we're discovering that fulfillment. So the Christianity is not, okay, let me figure out a way to sin less. Christianity is, wow, how he loves me, and what's a side effect? What's, What's a benefit of that? What's a result of that? Wow, I ended up going in this fleshly direction less and less because... I'm discovering more and more how he has affections towards me. And it's weird for us men, especially, to talk about another, quote, man, God, who has affections towards us. Well, I say let's get over it, because he does. And his love for us transforms us day in and day out. So as we go through the book of John and your rest of your life, as you read through it, as you stumble upon it, I encourage you to realize that the book of John, I believe, was written by a guy who really got it. He really understood that this all begins and ends with the love of the Father towards the Son and the love of the Son towards us. And that'll take us, that'll take us places. With that being said, um, that's John for, for me. And um, any closing thoughts, um, ideas? Uh, Whatnots before we take off? Yeah.
0: Just one funny thing. I
1: think We were talking about how you will let someone else keep you from a relationship mm-hmm. with
0: God. Talk about a where you okay. suddenly fail in some way. Right. Don't, don't let that bring you down. Someone said to me, it have been your dad, he said, uh, Never allow a hypocrite to keep you from going to church because if hypocrites keeping you from going to church that he's that much closer to God than you are. <laughs> Just this
1: long as yeah. you think of he's right. there, there's church
0: and they're
1: keeping him from it. So yeah. I that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I would even say like let's say let's say that I stumble. God forbid. Let's say I stumble. Let's say I start preaching law again. First of all even if I, are an angel from heaven, come and preach the gospel to let them be accursed, right? So don't listen to me, but whatever the sin, sexual, uh, religious, you know, whatever, m- my stumble is not, it should not be, cause your stumble, because your faith isn't in me, it's in him. I'm not the one who said, put the net on the other side, something crazy. It was him, and you believed him. You believed his crazy thing of believing him, believing a man, who is the Son of God, who died for your sins and rose from the dead, believe, you believe him, not me. That's why Kanye could fail, you know, or could call it all false. I'm going to keep listening to the album because it's the message. I mean, these guys who wrote this stuff that we call the Scriptures, I mean, were, were they behavioral saints? They were saints. But man, David killed a dude, he had an affair with the one chick, killed the husband. I mean, these are not guys that you would want teaching your kids Sunday school class. They would not pass a background check for journey kids.
0: <laughs>
1: but yet they wrote the scriptures. Think about that. Okay. Our faith is not in the man, but that's what it's become because we don't know the person. We don't know him. Anything else?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: hmm there you go yeah, there you go yeah yeah, no, that's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, right um yeah and and it's and it's hard to materialize that because we can't see him taste him, touch him, feel him, you know, sort of a deal, but That's all flesh, that's all this world stuff. Um, But when we start... Exactly, exactly. That's why he said it's better that I leave and send the Spirit so that this reality now comes in you. Awesome. Great word, Doug. Anything else? Any other thoughts? Well, hopefully John has been encouraging to us. There's been some difficult like pro- like passages throughout John that we've come to that are used, I think, out of context that hopefully we saw in better context, like in, in John 14, there's a couple of passages, in 15. So um, hopefully there's some light shed there as well. But uh, we sang the song, Grace on Top of Grace, which comes from the chapter one that... It, that From Christ, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. So if you shave off some grace, what do you have underneath that? It's more grace. You'll never shave off grace with the Lord and come to law. You'll never shave off grace and come to expectations for behavioral modification in order to be okay with Him. You'll never get there. You can dig and dig and dig. You're not going to find it. That came by Moses at a point in time to help people see their need for grace. And that's all we're going to find in Jesus. All right. Um, quick uh, preview of uh, coming attractions. Um, I think that what I'm going to do for the next couple of weeks, I don't know how long it'll last, is do a, a sort of a, a series that I think I'm, I'm playing with this idea of a uh, Christian gymnastics is the idea. And uh, because we have several passages, some of which we've not ever really looked at in in our fellowship, that uh, people, Christianity, Christendom have um, done some pretty substantial gymnastics with in order to sort of fit their theology or fit their thinking. Um, There's already been a request about 1 John 1, 9 and the gymnastics that we have to uh, twist and contort ourselves into in order to interpret 1 John 1, 9 as we need to confess our sins in order for God to forgive us of our sins on an ongoing daily basis. Um, hopefully that didn't crack the screen. <laughs> um, good. Um, so that's a Christian gymnastics, what I mean by that, where a passage <laughs> of scripture that has just been twisted so much that uh, it's just it looks like a gymnast who's twisted their body all in those crazy contorted shapes to make sense out of it. And I just don't think we need to do that. I think it's, we just, context works out really well. And so we might look at like the Lord's Supper where Paul talks about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians uh, and some other, pa- if, if there's a passage that you uh, come, comes to your mind of, you know, hey, what about this passage here? Hey, we can string together a bunch of these and just try to, you know, work through them together. This is a passage that I came across that kind of stumbled into. Uh, a great question a couple weeks ago was about uh, the Lord's Prayer, which we've talked about that over the years many, many times, but that individual is newer to the church fellowship. And so we might take a look at that in, in greater detail. Um, so just I guess what I'm saying is there's several that I've already kind of thought about since you know in conversations with some but if there's a a passage that you have in mind that um you'd say you know it seems like whoever Paul Peter James whoever or even in the Old Testament like th- this th- it doesn't really seem to match up with this message of Jesus plus nothing what 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 do we do with this um let's let's bring it together and let's not do crazy Gymnastics, let's just see it in context because I, I believe it's going to be a consistent message from the beginning to end um, regardless. Okay, so if you have something, shoot it over, and I'll be glad to take a look at it and see if we can't, you know, look at that. All right, any questions? Any thoughts, any comments, rude remarks? All right, let's be closed with a word of prayer and uh, clean up and, and head home. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you uh, that you are so good, that you ha- uh, have given us more than we could ever hope or dream or imagine, that you have not just restored uh, life, that's fantastic, but before you restored life to humanity, you removed the sin of humanity so that any sin ever future cannot take away your life now in us, because that sin has been forgiven, been removed. You removed all sin so that you could remain in us who believe forever. Otherwise, Jesus would have to die often. But Hebrews says, no, no, no. He died once and for all. So, Father, we thank you that is once and for all, it's finished. Sin is gone. It is removed. Even the sin we still commit have been, has been eradicated from the record annals of heaven for the purpose of you dwelling and living and being joined to us and us to you forever. We love you so much. And even as those words come out of my mouth, I am clueless about the fullness of what that means. So help me to discover more what it means to be loved by you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.